What's up, my weirdos? It's Syrah. This week, we are interviewing a very good friend of mine and an amazing human being who is doing some incredible things over in the UK. Her name is Nina Mohanty, and she is starting a company called Bloom. Bloom is an entity that is helping migrants get funding for all of the things that they need in life. And I would much rather Nina share her story than me. So let's just dive in. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syrah Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syrah and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. What's up, everyone? We are here with Nina Mohanty, and of course, I am here with my lovely co-host, Megan McShane. Nina, we are so excited to be interviewing you today about all things Bloom. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, Megan, should we just get started? Yeah, we definitely should. Nina, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for bearing with me today. (laughs) I just want to acknowledge for a second that you are in London. Is that correct? I am. I'm calling in from London, but this is a Northern California girl accent. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to acknowledge that we've gone global to some regard. We've jumped the pond and we're all in three different time zones, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there we go. Cool. Well, Nina, thank you so much for coming on. We always like to kick it off a little bit, really learning a lot about you. So in our mind, every single person that happened to be female on our podcast is a heroine in their own regard. So in your own words, what has been your journey to get here today? Oh, gosh, how much time do we have? Where to start? I am American by birth. I grew up in the Silicon Valley, born and raised. Yes, people live there. I always get that people kind of stop me and they're like, people live in the Silicon Valley? (laughs) Like, yeah, someone has to make all those apps that you use. But my parents were both immigrants from India and Taiwan, and they moved to the U.S. in time for the dot-com boom. And so I am really a child of the Silicon Valley. I ended up leaving the U.S., though, when I was 20 and moved to Paris. (laughs) I miss it so much. But I studied there, did my last year of school there, and then when I graduated, I worked at the U.S. Embassy. So actually, my first love in life straight out of college was public service. And that's still something that very much is something I hold dear in my heart. But turns out, and no offense to any civil servants, working for the government is a bit bureaucratic. Go figure. And so I decided to do a master's degree at the London School of Economics. And during that time, I fell into fintech. And I say fell into fintech because I feel like now there's like 50 different certificates and courses and like everyone wants to, like Wharton has a course and Oxford has a course. But back when I fell into fintech, I was just like, oh, this seems cool. I guess I could go work for a bank maybe. And I actually landed at MasterCard, which at the time I thought was a bank. Spoiler alert, it's not. 
But <laughs> I learned a lot there. And it was it was very serendipitous. And I'm glad I ended up there because it was there that I saw kind of this first wave of consumer fintech in the UK come out. So Starling Bank, Monzo, although Monzo was Mondo back then, Revolut was kind of quite young still. And this idea that like, oh, wait, we can use technology to help people live healthier financial lives was something that really spoke to me, was something I held very close to my heart because I'm very open about the fact that I racked up a lot of debt in my university days. But since then, have worked at a bunch of fintech companies, including Starling Bank, including MasterCard, of course, and most recently Klarna. And then a few months ago, I left my role at Klarna to start my own founder journey, which has been terrifying, but also the most rewarding thing I've done. And I've learned so much in a very short amount of time. And so I'm really excited to be here and share this with you today. What a really amazing story to hear. Like I just, that gave me a little bit of a chill, just kind of hearing all of the things that you've done, Nina, and what an extensive background you have, despite how young you are. I love hearing all of that. So I would love to know, what was your tipping point? Like what, what drove you to shift from Klarna, which is such a wonderful brand in fintech and start your own company? What was your tipping point? Yeah, I mean, this is real talk, right? So I'm just going to be like totally open about it. It was a combination of things. It was, on the one hand, Klarna is a brilliant company. They're doing really well. It's a very innovative company. But I, on the one hand, found that I had become a bit stagnant. I don't know if you've ever felt that in a job before where you're kind of like, I don't really feel like I'm learning anymore. And I'm, you know, one of those goody two shoes or like, you know, gold star girls that was always like, what can I do more? Can I do extra credit? You know, so I wasn't quite content to sit back and just kind of chill. And I think there's a time in life to sit back and chill. Don't get me wrong. And I don't begrudge anyone that chooses to do that. But it just wasn't right for me at the time. The other thing was, I think while fintech has really made huge strides and made it really easy for a lot of us to do things like get involved in investing for the first time or kind of save in a way that is more approachable, oftentimes I felt that I was building products for people who looked very much like me, who were kind of like, in the UK, we call them yuppies, young urban professionals. But there was a huge swath of people that weren't being served. And so this was typically kind of, I guess they're referred to as LMIs, low to medium income demographics, definitely communities of color. And I kept kind of sitting there and talking about it and telling people like, hey, we should fix this. We should address this. You know, this is a big problem. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should, we should do something about that. But no one was doing anything. And I had always felt like, I don't know, maybe I need to unpack this with my therapist, but I always felt like I'm the girl who goes and executes on someone else's vision, right? Because like I know myself and I can, you give me a target, I will execute for that. But it had never occurred to me that actually I could be the one setting the vision. 
And so it kind of was this perfect storm. The pandemic happened. I was suddenly gifted all of this time. So I started just speaking to people who, you know, are now becoming customers or, you know, part of our customer base. And I spoke to, actually, it was funny. I was I was speaking to my director of studies from my master's degree. And I was like, Sandy, I'm going to do a PhD. What do you think? <laughs> and he's like, Nina, you do not want to do a PhD. Not right now. Like, do that later. But first, this feels like there's a business here. Everything you're telling me, all this research you've done, why don't you go build this? And it was amazing to have someone say, you know, why don't you do it instead of saying, oh, why don't you go ask some guy to go build it or, you know, join an existing team to build it. So that was, yeah, a combination of things that led me to Bloom. Amazing. I didn't even realize that that was kind of the trigger. What a cool thing to come out of the pandemic, though. I, like, not something, not something I would have personally expected at all. So, just kind of laced into that. What has been your experience fundraising? Have you started that process, and what has that looked like for you? Gosh, yeah. So, it has been a journey. <laughs> It was a really interesting thing from the start when I decided I was going to do Bloom because I knew the opportunity was big enough to be venture backable. And actually, I think I even shortchanged myself at the beginning and was like, yeah, this could be big, but I hadn't realized just how big it could be. But I was kind of sitting from a position where I was always miffed with venture capitalists, with, I mean, people in the corporate world, anyone that can allocate funding, basically, who are, you know, getting on stage and saying like, oh, there's a funding gap and we should do something about that. And it's awful. And we know that like, what was it a few years ago, like less than 1% of VC funding was going to female founders. And it's really interesting to see it as an observer and to actually experience it. And I I kind of had hoped that we had come much further than we really have. Quite early on, I had a conversation with Romy Savova, who's the founder and CEO of PensionBee, which is like a pension aggregator here in the UK. And she recently took her company public. And the pictures are kind of like Whitney Wolf heard taking Bumble public and she's got her children with her. And it was like this amazing image. And Romy kind of said to me, listen, Nina, I know you. You're a raging feminist and we love that. I'm just going to be totally straight with you. Like it is hard. And she shared stories with me about, you know, going into rooms where Pension B was her idea. She had all of the knowledge about the pension industry and people would turn to her male co-founder and ask him, you know, for the facts to back it up and where he thought the vision was going. And she said to me, like, you know, it's going to be hard and I just want you to be aware of that. And so I took that on board, of course, and her insights have been invaluable to me, but I had not expected it. And it's everything from like, where's your male co-founder to 
I was once told by a VC, actually, you should get a white guy to be your CEO. In a different conversation, I told someone that I really liked product and I like being really close to customers and building product. And he said, oh, why you should be chief product officer. Like if you love product, you should be chief product officer and you should like bring some guy in to be CEO. And it was, it's one of those things where like, you know that it's happening right there, but it's this out of body experience <laughs> to be experiencing it. Not to mention that, you know, Bloom is serving migrant communities. So the very racist comments that are made, you know, and it's such an interesting thing because it, there's such a power imbalance there where you've got like, I'm here, a first time founder, I need funding to make this thing a reality. And if you on the other side of the screen are telling me racist things, do I then call you out for it? Do I let it slide in the hopes that you'll still write me a check? You know, what do you do in that situation? I feel this on a very deep level just because working with old men in banking and actually something I was sharing with Megan right before this this recording even happened. I think that like the people that sit on your cap table are just so important to you because they're also your advisors and they're the people that are going to coach you to success. So you know, if fundamentally you don't agree with them and what they're saying, I think that makes it so much more difficult to accept the money, right? And that's just what goes through my mind. That's one of the reasons that I invest via, you know, things like Female Founders Alliance, where I know that my money is going towards people that are underserved. But that's tough, Nina. I can't imagine being in that position where you're really between a rock and a hard place because you're staring at someone in the face that's like, here's some money, but I'm going to say things that are horrible. I just can't, I, I mean, talk about, talk about dirty money, you know, like it's so uncomfortable. But Nina, I think this is a really unique experience that we get to talk to you being a couple, you said a couple months in, right? Many people that want to venture out on their own, including myself, are scared to death. You know, you're like, I see this opportunity. I know I'm good at this, but am I willing to take that risk? So in my mind, like you have it all at this point in time, like it, for real. So you've taken that risk. You're starting to really seek out who are your advocates that probably are going to be more female than male in your space and pressing forward with the tough questions and being able to say like, I don't know, like, I don't know what direction to go yet. And I don't know who to trust and what precedence I need to set. And so for us, we always try to, like you're saying, like building product. I'm in product marketing, so I feel that on a deep level. The customer is always first and we're not building for them. Then we're just building for ourselves. But looking back on, on the last couple months, what advice would you give your past self or other people that are, are kind of coming to this, this tipping point themselves? There are so many things that come to mind immediately. The first thing is having a support system there. And I was very lucky in that from the get-go, I had I had Syra in my support system. Great person to have. I have Koki and I've got, you know, my friend Esther and all of my friends from uni or from my master's degree or, you know, so many people who have rushed towards me and been like, we believe in you. And some of them are like, I want to write you a check, which is next level. 
and not even what I was, you know, what I meant by support system, but they're there to, you know, take me to the theater when they're like, yo, you're really stressed out. You have been staring at a screen for a week straight. Your eyes are twitching. <laughs> you need some, I had a friend who was like, we're going to go get deep tissue stone massages. We're going. And just like very matter of factly. And I was like, I don't have time for this. That sounds said, no, so familiar, by the way. That's like Megan and I used to do that on a monthly basis in Seattle together. And she would literally drag me. And then she would not want to go into the massage room because I would sit there and this wonderful Hawaiian man would come massage me until I'd scream. And Megan would be like, can you please quiet down? I'm trying to tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> We all need that person, yeah, you know, and you need like a very supportive partner or, you know, a group of friends. And even, you know, to a certain extent, you know, your family members. So my parents are engineers by trade. They understand tech, but they don't really understand fintech. And I was terrified. There was that additional piece where like, I am the daughter of immigrants. So there's a certain like, well, stereotypical immigrant experience where my parents are like, you're making such good money at Klarna. Why would you, why would you leave that? You know, where their mentality was very much a survival mentality. Like, don't rock the boat, just get your paycheck and save up and don't try and do anything crazy or wild. So the idea of me jumping ship to go and bet on myself, I was terrified to tell my parents, actually. And my mother, when I finally told her over FaceTime, she wouldn't even look at me. <laughs> that was tough because she was, I think she she wants security for me. She wants financial security. She wants me to be able to thrive. And so for her taking this entrepreneurial journey, which could and in tears or glory, you know, she's like, I don't know if this is the right thing. So the first thing is support. The second thing is, so I'm someone who suffers from imposter syndrome. And sometimes people will be like, oh, Nina, do you know anything about this? Or do you know anything about like card issuing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like I know a few things or whatever. And then I'll talk your ear off for two hours about it. And it's this kind of discounting your own skill. And I found that right off the bat, I was discounting the skills that I had, where I would say things like, oh, I'm not really a marketer, don't have much experience in marketing. I could, I can maybe whip up a go-to-market plan, maybe. And then it was actually like, I, I wrote it, I did it. And then, you know, sent it off. And a few investors were like, wow, this is really impressive, actually. <laughs> like, did you do this yourself or did you outsource it? And this is something where I don't know that all women do it, but a lot of my girlfriends as well, just even in their day jobs, are kind of like afraid to put themselves out there or, or suffer from imposter syndrome. And so it was constantly having to remind myself that you didn't get lucky. You worked really hard for this and you have the skills that you need to do this. And again, that kind of circles back to that support system where then you have your girlfriends or whoever hyping you up and being like, yes, queen, <laughs> you can 
can do it. You know, and and Sire was there for it and saying, like, you've got this. You know what you're doing. Just eye on the prize. Keep going. And sometimes that's just what you need. Yeah. I feel that deeply only because I've had, like, Megan in the background. Like, I think there's this continual running joke, right? Every great woman has, like, a slew of women in the background just cheering them on and, like, honestly sending those late-night text messages where you're in full-fledged panic and, like, did I make the right decision? And they're just like, shut up, keep going, you're killing it right now. Because I still, despite the fact that I've gone through hours of coaching to try to work past my imposter syndrome, sometimes it's like hard to be like, I'm here, I earned my seat. And like, there's still people in the background that are whispering, like, did she earn her seat? You know what I mean? So it's a continual cycle of pushing forward and telling people, like, here's my middle finger, because actually, not only did I earn my seat, I'm significantly above what I'm doing right now. And I absolutely can. So I love hearing all of that, Nina. I'm so glad that you have the support that you need. And honestly, I'm honored that you consider me to be one of the people in your corner. I am here for you, but like, wow, you've got a team. You've got a team. So we are asking people in this series, a certain set of questions that we would love for you to kind of answer. And I would love for you to put on like your CEO slash co-founder hat while you're answering this. And, And the first question is, How would you give someone advice if they were approaching you and saying that they want to, first and foremost, have a baby or like trying to tell you that they're pregnant? How would you give someone advice on how to to frame that? Oh, gosh. Well, we've gone international. So this is a more nuanced conversation now, I suppose, because in the UK, there's like statutory pay and all the things that come with maternity leave. Maybe this is this is the future that feminists want, but I'm the CEO here. I'm the founder. I would want someone to come to me and say, like, hey, I have some really exciting news that I want to share with you. My partner and I, or or myself, I'm expecting. And I want to share that joy with you. I mean, to me, that's like the perfect conversation. You know, and then I'm going, ah, you know, like, <laughs> woohoo, baby shower, let's do it. And I think there is something very beautiful in having women in leadership positions to be able to have that conversation. Because when a, if a woman, if anyone came to me and said, you know, I'm expecting, my immediate reaction is just joy. I am not thinking about, oh God, you know, I've heard people go, oh, yeah, but when women go on maternity leave and you've got to find, like, someone to cover while she's away and then you have to pay her her leave and everything, like, that is not even mm. – one of the things that I find as well is when you treat your employees well, when you treat your team well, they treat you well in return. And I've been very blessed to have lots of friends who are conceiving or on that journey now and when their companies have been supportive of them they pay it back you know tenfold twentyfold when they're back in the workplace I think as well if I can something that I'm thinking about because just being like totally transparent one of my biggest fears is my infertility and that's something that I you know sit with and worry about a lot and I I always plan for the worst case with this. 
And it's something I very much want. I want to be a mother one day. And so I've I've spoken to a lot of female founders who have had to go on maternity leave themselves and the journeys that they have gone through where they've had to step back or, you know, have someone on their board fill in while they're out. It's a very nuanced thing when you are the person running the business as well. So I'm very interested to see how that goes, hopefully, in the future. Yeah. And it it's such a relative thing nowadays. So we know not everyone wants to get pregnant, but everyone's journey is different to get there. And what I hear you saying is like, if you're a CEO and we're setting a new standard, which by the way, you are, Nina, you know, it's like give respect, get respect back and understand that people want to be their authentic self at work. Like we don't all want to show up. I mean, God, I'm wearing like a leopard print muumuu right now. You know what I mean? This is my work. <laughs> I knew you were going to slide that in somehow, Nina. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to slide in. It's but, amazing. No, it is. And it, it's a, such a different thing. So yeah, I want to applaud you for having that perspective and bringing that into the new working environment and economy that will evolve for our children or our friends' children's children. Okay, so moving down the list of questions. So two things that we've talked about time and time again and putting on your CEO founder hat. How would you want someone to approach you when negotiating both a pay raise or coming in with an initial salary to a new job on your team? That's a brilliant question. I'm a big fan of the Fawcett Society here in the UK. And one of the big campaigns they've been working on, so addressing first like someone new coming into the business, is not asking about previous pay. So that's the first thing. I recently found out in one of my previous jobs, I was making three times less than a male counterpart. Oh my goodness. And the pay rise that I had when I left that company and went to the next company was incredible. And they did ask me how much I was on and I declined to answer. But the reason I bring this up is because oftentimes, I think in certain states, I think in California now, they're trying to outlaw asking what your previous salary or your current salary is. Because if you are historically underpaid, well, that just gives the company the excuse to kind of go, well, okay, we'll just like, you know, give you 20% increase maybe. And that's that. So the first thing is I wouldn't ask that. For me, it's all about the research that you've done. So if you can come to me and say, like, this is what I'm bringing to the table. This is the research that I've done with comparable positions. Or maybe the position is completely new. And this has been the case for me before, where it's like a mashup of a lot of different roles. And I've gone and done the research. And this is what the mean salary is, then that's great. And also I want someone to have in their back pocket a list of alternatives if we're not able to meet you there. Is it paying for your travel card? Is it giving you, you know, a few extra holidays or, you know, get creative with it. And I think stick to your guns most than more than anything is if you know you're worth that much, back that up and I'm more than happy to pay you that. But also leading with transparency too is what I hear you saying. Like this is, again, going back to, you know, hey boss, I'm pregnant. I'm super excited. Are you going to cheer me on through this sort of a thing? Let's work through this together. I think when you come on and you're like, 
this is what I'm worth. This is why I'm worth it. And then here are the confounding variables aside from, you know, what I'm worth on a day-to-day basis. Like I need help with a green card or what have you. So I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one to the transparency. I think that's amazing. Something that I always like, I think it's not what have you been making? It's what's your salary expectation? And then let them elaborate on the explanation as to why that's like, for me, an ideal candidate has all of that put together. So I I love that, Nina. So last question that we want to ask you is, so let's say someone is seeking a new job opportunity, finds the job of their dreams at Bloom. How would you recommend someone quit with grace from their previous or soon to be previous job? Yeah, this is a really, that's a really, really great question. How to quit with grace. I will start by saying that, of course, everyone's situation is different and every company is different. So there are certain things that you might want to take into consideration. Like my notice period at Klarna was three months. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's the UK and Europe talking where you've got very long notice periods. Is that market, by the way, in the UK, Nina? That is pretty standard. Yeah, a three-month notice period. I've heard of, you know, obviously the more senior you get, you're starting to look at a six-month period and then beyond that gardening leave, which is you're so important that we need you to just sit at home and be paid (laughs) and not do anything. Gardening leave. Yeah. Yeah. Goals. (laughs) It was a completely new concept to me when I moved here. They'll like put you – it's called gardening leave and – They'll pay you out sometimes up to like a full year, your whole salary, just to be distant from the company before you move to your next role. Is that like kind of like an advisory role to the the person that's coming in to take over so that they nope. transition? Oh, no. No, no. You you have no – you like you hand in your laptop, everything. Like you're just sat there for six months to a year because everything you know in your juicy, juicy brain – could be taken to the next place. So they want to put some distance between that. So that was a very interesting thing that I found when I moved here. So I think there's a certain extent to which you want to be considerate of your colleagues, of your direct supervisors or managers or whatever. And my hope, of course, is always, and this is a, this applies to Bloom as well, if anyone working at Bloom were to go to a different company, for a new opportunity, I would want to be happy for them. You know, the perfect scenario is like, that's amazing. I'm thrilled for you. You know, obviously we're so sad to see you leave, but I'm glad that you you are taking on a new challenge. So my hope always is that the response on the other side is going to be that positive. I think I'm a big fan of of writing things out. So whether it's a an email or a letter. I'm a handwritten note kind of gal as well. So I'm really I've had one of those from you. I love those. Yeah. I'm an old school, yeah, thank you notes and everything kind of gal. So, you know, you just write out and probably if if it applies, thank that person for the opportunity, for what you've experienced and everything that you've learned and how you've grown and let them know. The other thing I'll note though is it's not always required that you tell them where you're going. And this is something this 
I just feel like I should say out loud because it had not occurred to me that you didn't have to tell someone where you're going. And in fact, in some cases, it can even like start to bleed into a, a legal question. But you are not required to tell someone where you're headed as well. But if you feel like sharing, then that's always really exciting too. So maybe gracefully thank your team, offer to hand over to the relevant people and be a team player where you can until your time is up. But that would be how I would want someone to do it if they were leaving Bloom, for example. I love that, Nina. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. I bring this up constantly when we talk to people, but I think over the last spring, they were calling it the great resignation, right? And there were so many people that were feeling stuck. Like, you know, I'm in a bedroom right now recording. I work here too in my full-time job. I mean, it's a lot in one space and people started to feel a little stagnant and have been quitting. And so Sai and I have just had these conversations. We're like, yeah, I mean, we've quit jobs in the past. This isn't our first job, but we had to learn all of that. And so we've been just talking about like, what kind of things are we like? Oh yeah, duh, now that we didn't have back then. So I appreciate and honor your perspective here. You know, at the end of the day, it is a job. I know, you know, you as a founder, it's your whole life and I totally respect and honor that. But for some people, it just doesn't align with their career goals and passions. And that's okay because you want people that are passionate alongside you. Yeah. And align to that. Yeah. Definitely. I totally agree with that. Uh, Nina, this has been such a like treasure trove of information. I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to bring you on and interview you and learn all of the things about Nina Mohanty. I have one last question for you. Where can our listeners find you online? I can be found on Twitter at Nina Mohanty or on LinkedIn. Please feel free to get in touch. Or if you're interested in Bloom, we are very interested in having a verse cap table. So, you know, if you're delving into private market investing, you can find out more about us at bloommoney.co. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. It has been so much fun interviewing you. And I'm very excited to watch Bloom blossom. Yes. Was that the right pun? pun. Was that the right pun? Oh, we love a pun. (laughs) We love it. Rife with puns. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Nina. It's been a pleasure. What a lovely, lovely interview with Nina, getting it from her perspective. And might I say boots on the ground, <laughs> like getting started on a new company and, and we get to hear kind of first blush of what's going on. Yes. She is one of those people who is just so honest and transparent and like she's at an inflection point in her in her life, right? She's starting her first company. She's attempting to do her first fundraise. To hear it straight from her was really impactful to me because I, at some point, you and I will be in a similar disposition and it's intense to hear it from the trenches, right? Absolutely. So you know me scribbling down some things. I'm, this is just, I want to, I want to know if you got the same things I got from this. I'm going to start with the one that I like the best, which is relax and recharge. I think there's studies on recharging. I think you and I know that near and dear to our hearts, or at least I force you to. Even taking a break between seasons just to recharge and reset has been so important. My goodness, what else did she say? Something that she really struck me with was that, and I took this away from the general gist of everything she was saying, which was just 
full transparency with your employer and like this expectation that your employer is also going to embrace the fact that you're being fully transparent. And that's something that I've been really fortunate with at HMB, but I don't know that I've always had that historically, particularly in traditional finance, where it kind of gets rammed down your throat that it's more acceptable to be very opaque with your situation. And like, uh, it was much more the norm to mask something like pregnancy until you could no longer hide it. So I just, I want to applaud all of the women out there that are courageous enough to be transparent because it's not always something that's easy to execute on. Yeah. And I think also what you and I are, I mean, I'm continuously learning at least, I'll just speak for myself, is that work is a part of your life and finding that balance. And if you can't show up as your true self in your job, like your authentic, transparent self with a voice and with the passion behind it, then you know, you're kind of wasting your time. At least that's how I feel. I'm like, I will put a hundred percent effort into my job because I care about it. But that doesn't mean I'm not putting a hundred percent into the rest of my life too, because you have to be more well-rounded. And I know we're constantly trying to figure out what that balance is when we can, and it ebbs and flows. But yeah, that's always just kind of top of mind for me. And it, it's in line with a lot of the things that Nina said around being transparent and authentic and having a voice, and then also compounded with who are your advocates and who are not. Oh, yeah. When she was talking about like your hype squad, I was like, that is my Megans. I have two Megans in my life that are my hype squad, my sister, my family, like all of the people that stand behind me. And like, let's not get it twisted. It also caught me a little bit when Nina was like, my mom wouldn't look at me on FaceTime. My dad was not excited when I was like, I'm leaving the bank. I'm jumping ship. I hate that place oops, did I say that out loud? Like my family wasn't excited for me either, but like having them actually soldier up behind me and now supporting me and all the decisions that I've made to perpetuate what I believe in. I I think that is almost the crux of your personal success, right? Your success is only as important as the people that support you behind it because your happiness ends up being their happiness as well. So I just, Yeah. I'm having all the feelings. I'm having a lot of feelings right now. So should we wrap this up, Meg? (laughs) Yes, we should. You know, I love feelings. I'm all about it. Oh, yeah, but I hate having them. So (laughs) (laughs) that's that's quite enough of that. All right, love. Well, another wonderful episode done. Let's talk later. All right. Love you, babe. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds.